Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this gift of this day, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity we have to proclaim your name, to read your scriptures, to sing out your praises, Lord. And now we gather before you and ask that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would speak to us, not as the world speaks with words which are easy to disregard, but Lord, speak deep into our hearts. Speak into those places of pain, suffering, confusion, and loss. Speak into those places of emptiness. Speak into the places of joy and contentment and satisfaction, Lord. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your challenge. We pray for your encouragement. But most of all, we pray for the life and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, to take place in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It's awesome to see you all today. Well, uh, as many of you know, I just came back from Israel. I got back last Sunday. And I can tell you that a 10-hour time change is a lot. It's a lot. Especially at my age, right? I just do not react to time changes like I used to. Used to just bounce right back like a rubber ball. Like, not anymore. Boy, it's getting harder and harder. That and combined with, I got a head cold on the way home, which was a glorious gift, uh, because then I found myself just completely, like by midweek, I, 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 I don't know, I, it was horrible. I was exhausted, I was just like, face felt like it was going to explode, you know that feeling? Headache, oh man, no energy. It was a phenomenal feeling. Right, And in that feeling, I found myself thinking about the world, right? Because when you go to a place like Israel, uh, where there's so many tensions and uh, forces pulling on all different ways on that thing, um, that nation, that you really start thinking about, my goodness, how would, if I were going to solve things, how would I solve them? Right? Uh, Jerusalem to Mexico, perhaps? <laughs> Jerusalem to Mexico, that's a solution, that's right. Uh, so... Uh, but we don't really know, right? It's so confusing. Whose perspective is right? What, you know, where do we go? What do we do? And so I found myself then backing off of that because I couldn't solve that problem. Right? And started looking at problems more locally. Right? What about the needs that are all around us? What about the needs of the people who we know? What about the needs of the people we see on the street? What about the needs of people who, who come and ask us for assistance? What about their needs? How do we respond to them? Right? Israel's confusing. Our nation's challenges are confusing. And even local things in our own lives are confusing. Even if we were asked to solve, give us, like, if somebody asked me, Seth, tell me your problems and give me the solution for how you can, how you can solve them or how I can help you solve them, I'd be like, uh, I don't know. I can't solve my own problems, right? It's confusing business, this challenge. And sometimes in the face of all these layers of challenge, I start to feel a little like a mole crab. I didn't even know what it was called until today. I had to look it up. Right? They, we used to call them just sand crabs. They're those crabs that are on the surf zone, right? Where the, the waves, as the waves coming out, you see them dig right down into that wet sand. And then for some reason, they're back up again when the next wave comes. I don't know what they're doing. It seems like they just stay down there. Right? 
but I feel a little like that sometimes. Like, oh, it's a wave, ah, dig down, dig, 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 dig. And then down in there, right? It seems so easy to try to escape, to try to hide, to try to bury ourselves in the sand. Because needs can be so great all around us. What do we do? What do we do when the need is so great and we feel so inadequate? Well, go ahead and spoil the sermon. There you go. All right. I mean, if you want to just jump to the end. All right. Then we'll just... uh, That concludes my shortest sermon ever. All right. But we got to do the work and get through the scripture to get there, okay? So Isaiah, he is writing to a world that was face, that was fractured and facing collapse, right? He is writing to uh, Israel and Judah, these two nations that have split apart from one another, uh, that are in civil war, uh, and, and they are getting ready to, to just fall, to fall. And in his letter, he addressed to people who had exchanged the protection and power and loving relationship with God and sought instead that protection and relationship in other nations and in other governments, right? They tried to find other people to fill that void that they had created by turning away from God. In his book, Isaiah prophesied about the judgment of Israel, the coming Assyrian and Babylonian exiles, and the ultimately the promise of a restored Israel. Right, is all there in this book of Isaiah. The exiles would come home. They would be brought back. Israel would be brought back from its exile. It would be returned. It would be reestablished. And it is to this future audience that Isaiah is writing. To a people who had come home. To a people who had been redeemed by God. To a people who had been restored. And he tells them this message. He says, shout out, do not hold back, lift up your voices like a trumpet. Right? This is an important message. This is not just, you know, there's a dollar sale at the grocery store, right? This is an important, although that is important too. This is even more important, right? Because he says, announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob, their sins. Their sins. This was the message of God to the people of Israel. These are the people who he had just restored from exile. The people who he had just brought back. The people who he had just redeemed from a foreign land. The message that Isaiah was to proclaim to them was their sins and their rebellion. Sin and rebellion are a lot like spinach, right? Because... I mean, not in flavor, but in terms of they stick like, you know, when it sticks to your teeth, spinach does, right? And do you have any idea that that spinach is there? No, No, unless what happens? Unless someone tells you you're talking to them and they're like, yeah, or or they keep looking and you're like, what? What is it? Right? Or you find a mirror, right? You need those things. And this is like how God works with us and he's working with Israel is to point out their sin and rebellion because they were oblivious. They were in a spinach state towards it. They could not see it themselves. They needed God to intervene and to reveal it to them. God had brought them back from exile, not because they had gotten their stuff altogether, 
Not because suddenly they learned to be righteous and holy and the perfect people who God called them to be. He brought them back because he had compassion on them. God had promised that he would bring them back, and so he did. Not because the people deserved it, but because God is gracious and merciful. The Lord, through Isaiah, though, uh, begins to expose their sin because he doesn't want them to stay in this state of sin and rebellion. Isaiah employs a a time-tested method to expose their sin to them. He uses sarcasm, right? For some of us, it's our greatest gift we give to the world is sarcasm. And Isaiah here is using his skill to expose to them their brokenness. And so he says, Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. The people have the outward appearance of righteousness. They're doing all the right things. They've got all the trappings. They're dressed the right way. They look the right way. If you passed them on the street, you'd say, what a righteous person. But inside, inside, they're not. And in the behaviors that are not observable by the casual passerby, righteousness is not evident. And so they wonder, these people wonder, they wonder why their prayers are ineffective. And so they say, why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Right? So what's the motivation for their prayers and their humbling? Themselves, right? Attention from God, right? God, we're doing all this stuff. How come you're not doing anything for me? God, what have you done for me lately? Right? You see their orientation. It's all towards their own satisfaction, their own fulfillment. They're curious about why God won't listen to them and answer their fasts and their prayers. And so the Lord answers them on their point of contention. He says, okay, let's talk about fasts, which is really what they're asking for, right? How come you're not answering me? Well, here's God's answer, and I don't think they're, happy. they're going to be happy with it, right? And so the Lord speaks to them about their fasts. He says, look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Right, so whose interests are they serving on fast day? Their own. Their own. Whose interests are they supposed to be serving on a fast day? God's, God's interests, right? Absolutely. Look, you only fast to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humbles oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, in challenging their fast, the Lord brings up some points that might challenge us too, right? Because if I were thinking of fasting, what things might I think of? Humbling yourself, right? Praying, bowing your head like a bulrush, right? If I were thinking of Old Testament fasting, what else might I do? Not eating, exactly. You Sackcloth and ashes, right? Those are pretty common, right? And yet here, the Lord through Isaiah is saying, look, you think that's what a fast is about? You think it's just about food? 
think it's just about bowing your head like a bulrush? You think it's about the way you dress? You think that's a fast? He's saying that those are just outward signs. They're not what a true fast is about, as Isaiah will soon point out. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Isaiah here refocuses the concept of fasting. It's not about personal denial in terms of food or clothing or comfort, but about denial of sin and oppression. It is about seeing others freed from conditions that are harmful or empty or that strip them of their dignity. The fast that the Lord wants to see from the people of Israel is one that transforms other lives. Now, in response to a fast like this, the Lord says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Here I am. God will freely respond to the people when they turn their hearts to him and respond to his calls for justice. When the poor are fed, the oppressed freed, the yokes broken, the naked clothed, and the homeless housed. That's a brilliant plan, isn't it? It's a beautiful plan. It's a beautiful vision. There's only one slight hitch in it. Anyone know what that hitch is? Do we do sin? sin? Exactly. The same condition that the Lord was calling out in the nation of Israel, their rebellion and their sin, is the same condition that keeps us still stuck in this world, in our time. Sin. The big fly in the ointment of this is us, or me. I am. The impediment. I fall short. We fall short. We fail. We're selfish. We're lazy. We make poor decisions. We care for a little. We care for a little while, right? It's okay to get ourselves stirred up for a little bit, like a news cycle, right? Or maybe a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years, even. We get ourselves passionate about something and care. We really do care. Then after a while, we lose focus. It's not that we mean to be callous. It's not that we want to be. But we do. We find ourselves being that way. We find that sin so deep within us. The Lord needs to break our hearts of stone. and Give us hearts of flesh. Ultimately, the Lord needs to intervene. He needs to come, and he needs to set things right. Like the deliverance of Israel from exile, the Lord needs to come and rescue the situation. He didn't wait for the people to get it together before he redeemed them. 
He didn't wait for them to show them, show him that they were worthy of his salvation. He came to them nonetheless and brought them to himself. The Lord needs to do this because the Lord is the only one who can do this. This is supported and made clear in Luke chapter 4. You remember the chapter, right? You've got Jesus, he's in Nazareth, he's preaching in the synagogue of his hometown, right? And he's handed the scroll of who? Isaiah, the same scroll we're reading from, right? Different chapter, but same scroll. He stands up with that scroll and he reads it and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, returned it to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, it is fulfilled. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the divine fast. And we see in Jesus Christ the blessings of the Lord, that his light did break forth like the dawn, and that his healing sprung up quickly. And he, as our vindicator, has gone before us. We thank God that he is the ultimate fulfillment of this. And he invites us to be partners with him in caring for his creation, caring for the people of this world, caring for one another. This is overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. It's so easy to go mole crab in our lives, right? To dig ourselves down, to put up a wall, put up fences to keep away from others, to isolate ourselves. And yet Christ calls us to something unique. Remember, in the mission of Jesus Christ, he did not stay up in heaven with the Father, denying his mission to come, to care for us, to die for us. No, he came and took on our flesh, took on our frailties and weaknesses, came to this earth, was betrayed by the people who loved him, betrayed with a kiss. He was ostracized. Remember what happened to him in Nazareth after he preached that sermon on the Sabbath day? Where'd they want to take him? They were tried to throw him off a cliff. Throw him off a cliff. Throw him off a cliff. Our Lord knows what it is to be denied, to be ostracized, to be hurt, to be alone. And he challenges us to turn to those. Even as people who are hurt ourselves, we are wounded, we are lost, we are lonely, and yet we come to him and ask that he would help us to care for those around us. To reach out into this world with true empathy and compassion. To not hide, but instead be broken open for his good news. Church, where are we on this? Christians, where are our hearts? Brothers and sisters, 
Do we know what it is to be bound, oppressed, naked, and without a home? Our Savior Jesus Christ does. And he has experienced those things for us on our behalf. So how will we respond to him, the Lord who calls us into relationship and who sends us out into this world? And how will we respond to those who he calls us to love? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the hope of the world. Thank you for being the light of the nations, Lord. We thank you that you did not... um, that you did not turn away from us, Lord, that you did not uh, choose to stay far from us and stay in your place of, of perfection at the right hand of the Father, but instead took our flesh upon yourself, fully knowing that to do that would be to die, to suffer pain, to suffer isolation, to suffer loneliness, Lord. You asked your friends to pray with you, and they fell asleep. You entrusted yourselves to others and they betrayed you. Lord, they scourged you. They nailed you to a cross. We did this, Lord God. We confess to you that we are sinners. Lord, may the trumpets sound in our hearts and minds and may we pay attention. Show us our sin. Show us our weaknesses. And draw us to you, Lord God. And as we are healed and restored, send us into this world as healers and restorers. People of compassion. People of love. People of mercy and service. Lord God, may we point others to you that they might know the salvation and the healing that you offer. And may we also offer tangible support as well. May we care for people as they are. And seek to see them drawn to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.